0: Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds and on today's programme we're discussing Ben Wheatley's new film, In the Earth. The action takes place amidst a viral pandemic and follows a scientist, Martin, played by Joel Fry, and a forest ranger, Alma, played by Elora Torchia, as they take a trip on foot through a forest for a research centre. On the way, Martin hopes to find signs of a missing colleague, and the forest is deep and dark, of course. Soon they run into trouble in the shape of Zach, a jittery Reese Shearsmith, a man who's taken matters into his own hands and decided to live off the grid in the woods. How helpful is his help? Quite the opposite. Martin and Alma plunge onward into a nightmarish world about which we're being asked how much of it is viral, how much of it is pandemic, how much of it is being spun by Zach and how much of it is a simple fear of the deep dark forest where let's face it things have often gone wrong since the days of Aesop and how much is down to disturbing that folk horror trope of the title What? is in the earth. Ben Wheatley made this film about a pandemic during lockdown, and it's one of a few films made in its midst, but rare in getting outside into nature. So to discuss the merits or otherwise of this strange plunge into the forest, I'm joined by the film critic and host of the Girls on Film podcast, Anna Smith, and the film critic for The Daily Telegraph, Tim Roby. Lovely to have you both here. Hi, Tim. Hi, Anna. Hi. Hello. Anna, going to come to you first... Um, as we plunge recklessly perhaps into the woods. What sort of world has Ben Wheatley created for us here in the earth?
1: I think folk horror is a good term for this. It is very earthy. Um, there's a lot of nature and there's a lot of threat from nature and the environment. But of course, a big question is how much of the threat is humanity in this pandemic world thrust into the forest? I mean, there's certainly common ground with A Field in England and Wheatley's other work. Um, and obviously it's a pandemic film, so you've got a very small ensemble cast. So this really is about character. It's about threat, it's about danger and it's about trying to make scares in limited circumstances and I think it's one of those films that is hard to watch without being aware of how it was made and thinking about the limitations of making a film in a pandemic and perhaps cutting it a little bit of slack because of that, but also looking at how ingenious it is to use the limitations well.
0: Yeah, and and we're in a kind of very sort of, it's a very heavy, kind of thick-veiled universe, this forest, Anna, isn't it? How has Wheatley done that? I mean, there's, there's all the kind of heavy kind of dew at dawn and rainfall and all the rest of it. There are moments of of birdsong and things, but he's created a pretty heavy universe outside of what we might come to talk about later, some of his kind of trippy, psychedelic tropes and things. But, but, but there's heavy weather in this film as well, isn't there?
1: That's right is it's foggy there's a lot of focus on trees and on ground and on the earth as the title suggests um it's kind of a be careful where you tread kind of film and Clint Mansell's score must be mentioned here because it's incredibly effective in creating that sense of of dread and earthiness and unexpected terrors around the corner it is a a film full of foreboding visually you're definitely you're definitely seeing ill weathers ahead when you look at this the first few frames of this film
0: (laughs) yeah i mean people people might want to check out the trailer before they kind of plunge into this one we've actually got a clip of it now before i bring in tim um this is a little bit of a taster of the vibe of in the earth wake up something's there listen someone's watching us I saw something in the woods. He wants to talk. Well, like Bernard Herrmann's strings updated for the year of the pandemic. Um, Tim, as Anna said there, Clint Mansell's score does a lot of the work in this, in the atmospherics of, of, of In the Earth as well. Is this film, though, in a, in a kind of line with, with Ben Wheatley's signature style? And so what is that style?
2: It is, yes, up to a point. I mean, Anna mentioned A Field in England, which is probably the one that's most like this, which is his other folk horror film mm-hmm. from 2013, uh, which is, again, quite a, a quick shoot in some fields with a small cast. That could almost have been made under lockdown, I feel. It felt uh, like kind of England. a riff
0: of a film, right? It yes, a riff, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that
2: one was set in the, during the English Civil War and had a kind of witch general quality to it. Good hats. Uh, good Buckles hats. on shoes. Exactly, very much so. <laughs> This one it does make the best of its kind of small scope in the build-up. I found, and I, I really enjoyed the kind of tease of it and the kind of treading carefully through this very thick wood. And one of the characters cuts his foot very early on on a sharp stone that's sort of been deliberately placed there to sort of mess him up later. Yeah. And that kind of so that's a classic kind of Ben Wheatleyism—a bit like in Kill List, where there's the the rune on the back of the mirror you see early on. And you're like, oh, what's that going to do later? You're not—he sets these things up, and then it sort of just turns into a big wig out by the end. And there, I felt perhaps the, the haste of the shoot perhaps became more obvious. It's like they've they've gone and made this quickly and they, it talks a good talk with the script early on and all of these kind of ideas that it throws up and the things about this sort of this mycozoidal map is it called this that's right. web of mushrooms that's the thing underneath. I wrote
0: down when I was watching it and then couldn't, realize, couldn't understand why I'd written it down after that I'd must watched. be it yeah I remember
2: thinking yes those are, those are good words and it sort of talks yeah. a good talk but then ultimately it just sort of turns into a psychedelic wig out yeah. uh, which is, is kind of fine but I don't know if that's necessarily Wheatley's forte it almost feels like he's doing something there to copy uh, Peter Strickland okay the director of um uh, Duke of Sounds and Barbarian yeah. Sound Studio whose films tend to go in that direction as well. Yeah. But that said, I do actually think this is one of Wheatley's better films of late because he's had he's gone through a bit of a rough patch. He did the, the, the Netflix remake of Rebecca, for example, <laughs> which was much, much derided by, by critics. And this is a step back up to into his sort of comfort zone, I suppose. For me, I would love to see this film as a midnight movie at a festival, which is sort of the way it was programmed when it first premiered. Big green man dance.
0: job, wouldn't it?
2: Exactly, because yeah. it's, it's sort of it's short, it's quite it's intense. It ultimately at the end doesn't require you to think too much, and just sort of turns into this this big trip. Um, but I think a, a, as the sort of final film of the day in the dark at a festival,
0: uh, <laughs> that's the ideal scenario for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tim's obviously doesn't mind being very afraid in a field in England. Uh, very specifically we. Kind of mentioned Anna there Tim was sort of mentioning the idea of well the, the success of, 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 of how the of how the film pans out and it's, it's sort of plot uh, it's plotting and all the rest of it does the pandemic part of it I mean we start off with masks and people have to come out of quarantine or, or isolation. A uh, 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 Martin, played by Joel Fry, is sort of one of the two main protagonists, the scientist who has to find his perhaps his colleague and find this research facility in the forest. He's He has to come out of quarantine to meet the rest of the characters. Does that pandemic bit feel kind of bolted on or does it feel like a film that inevitably came out of the pandemic, I wonder?
1: I think it is one of those pandemic films that everyone predicted initially would happen. Oh, we're we going to see lots of films about the pandemic. And, and there's a mixture of kind of familiarity and dread when you see it because, you know, part of us you know, watches films for escapism, and this definitely isn't escapism. Me, gosh, okay, that's familiar. He's having to do a test, and then he's having to stand a few meters away from other people, um, and you know, all those kind of details have become sadly quite familiar to us. Um, but at the same time, of course, that is an opportunity for familiarity and sort of dark humour. Now, I'm a big fan of of Wheatley when he goes full on with dark humour, such as in Sightseers, and we only saw mm-hmm. a few glimpses of this here. And um, but I- but Joel Fry um, is definitely a good person for that if you're going to if you're going to go in that direction. And I th- there were a few moments in the sort of pandemic setup where it went into that familiar dark humour. Okay, this is the really wor- weird world that we now live in. Although, of course, this is you know an un- unnamed pandemic, which is potentially more severe, and we don't really know the details. Um, but I think, personally, he worked that in quite well. And he's used, as many horrors have done before, a very modern and very contemporary situation and and panic to set up a familiar world and to go crazy from there.
0: How well do you think he mixes the virus, the sort of current fears of the pandemic uh, and being close to people and isolating and an an unseen force like a virus and the occult, which is the sort of spiritual version of that, if you know what I mean, maybe in the form of of the Reese Shearsmith character uh, Zach in the woods
1: as soon as Reese Smith comes into a film like this, you think, yes, okay, we're in safe hands, we're going to get this kind of slightly wired performance, um, which is going to really work again with dark humour and with with very strange occultish elements. But I do agree with Tim that it's sl- I felt the film slightly went off on a tangent here or, or at least it felt a little bit split in its loyalties and it sort of did go in a more occultist direction and slightly dropped the pandemic angle there were a couple of sort of nods to it but it really seemed to sort of move more into perhaps the territory that is very comfortable with and perhaps has been thinking about for a long time it felt perhaps like this was a movie that had been in his mind and then he he made it into a pandemic movie um so I, I like that, but neither of them have the time to be really fully explored. It is, Sim says, it's kind of like a midnight movie. It doesn't feel like a very deep or profound horror that really gets you thinking or that you necessarily really believe in, even, but it has effective scares and it, it certainly kept me gripped.
0: The, yeah, the Zach, the Zach character who, that Reece Shearsmith, I'm sort of reading around this. He's so people have said oh, he's quite reserved. He's quite—I mean, I sort th- of called him jittery in my introduction. There, he's not kind of full-on mad League of Gentlemen, Reese Shearsmith. He's sort of a little bit reserved, but he's—I suppose he's someone that represents the occult, if you want to see it that way, or simply the anti-vaxxer, going to live off the grid, live in the woods. You know, he's somewhere between the League of Gentlemen and Nomadland. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, he's, he's sort of a quietly mad hermit, isn't he? And he's sort of been camping out in the woods. Uh, he's sort of, initially, you think, is he going to help them? Gradually, it becomes clear he's not going to help them. He has very much the opposite agenda. And then, then, Rishi Smith is allowed to go into his kind of full-tilt gonzo yeah. nutter mode, uh, which I always think he does a little bit too much. Like, like He goes over the top, usually, when he's done that, doing that. Um that section of the film though doesn't it play perfectly like an Inside Number 9 episode. Yeah, it's like yeah, it it's it's a sort of half hour <laughs> Inside Number 9 episode sort of embedded into the middle of this film with him as the the guy Which who's,
0: is for is uh, that's a spin off of The League of Gentlemen with some of that ensemble but all of them right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and Reece,
2: yeah. Reece uh, Smith and uh, Steve Pemberton yeah. sort of take turns to play the bad guy, essentially, usually in those in those episodes, um, and wh- during that bit, I was enjoying it, I must say, and I do think that when the, the the two main characters are kind of held hostage and drugged and trying to escape from their their captivity, there that's that's a good section. But then it sort of adds another character in uh, Haley Squires' character who I think is um, meant to be Risha Smith's ex uh, and she's sort of playing the piano and looking I think there's a qu- kind
0: of like she left me yeah
2: exactly she's, yeah. that's it and she's sort of at the piano being sort of equally quietly deranged in a way that you know is going to head eventually in one direction only mm. and again he's, he's good at setting all of those characters up I, I quite enjoy the tease of it and yeah and then you know what 's coming
0: um let 's talk about the performances Then We kind of touched on Reese Shearsmith, reins it in at first, and then goes full gonzo says Tim now we 're going to talk a bit about Joel Fry later on, but what about um, Elora Torcia as Alma and indeed Haley Squires as, as uh, Dr. Wendell? The only one that 's allowed to go fully fully nuts is is Ree Shearsmith, I suppose, although everyone has their moments of of come, coming into the light anna how do you how do you rate the performances in this film kind of Pointing all in one direction, I suppose, which is madness and downwards, but nonetheless...
1: Well, I'll start with the Laura Torture because she she's one that doesn't necessarily have to go that far. But I was really impressed with her because I actually hadn't seen her in anything before. Mm. She's sort of fairly new to film, um, although she's done plenty of work on stage. And I thought she was great. I thought she she played Alma really well. She's a park ranger. And what I kind of liked about this and um, Martin's character is neither of them seem to be particularly good at their jobs. They're not these kind of exemplary scientists and park ranger duo you know, who know exactly what to do in a crisis. They're just kind of normal people trying to get through something something terrible. And I thought she was very convincing and she played it right. And she knew when to freak out and knew when to be straight. So I thought she was really good. So Haley Squires, I felt there was a case of miscasting here. It almost felt like the role had been written for an actress who perhaps had a more heightened chronic tone or had uh, more of a kind of sinister edge. And I've loved Hayley Squires in things like I Am Daniel Blake and Adult Material, but I do not feel that she was right for this role, whether something didn't translate in the direction, but it felt kind of hammy and strange and perhaps you know, it, it suffered from comparison to Reese Shearsmith, who's been doing that sort of tone for decades. Um, and it, it, that just didn't really work for me, that aspect, which was actually a bit of a problem for me towards the end.
0: Yeah, well, how... How? <laughs> sounds like a strange question to ask. But how kind of reined in and how nuts do these... In order to work, these performances either need to go through a transformation, you need to see someone go get scared and go a bit nuts and or flee or whatever it is, or kind of rein it in and be strong, or whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, when you're doing a kind of genre film, a horror film, especially a folk horror film, is there a kind of register that's the right register? to? I mean, do you know what I mean? It's an interesting interesting point of Anna's to talk about a potential case of miscasting. Yeah, with, I think uh,
2: with Hayley Squires, all of these actors are put under that kind of test, and I agree with that. And I don't quite know what Hayley Squires is sort of trying to do, uh, and I wondered if someone like Alice Lowe might have been the right way mm-hmm. to go, who is his his sightseer's actress. Or I don't know. It needed it needed did something else someone else I did really like Elora Torchia uh, a lot and the one thing I think I, I have seen her in was Midsummer, where she plays one of the two Brits who is happens to be out there uh, when all hell starts breaking yeah. loose and, they, and she, they, they have limited screen time in it but her sort of moments of freaking out in that were quite striking and I feel as though this performance is sort of that one maximised if you like um, and she really modulates it very well she keeps your sympathy she's believably Sort of, sort of first harassed and then terrified, and keeps and really a bit messy help. as Anna messy, says, kind yeah. of not
0: not a, not an exemplary human being in all ways. And, no, yeah. and and she has
2: excellent chemistry with Joel Fry, mm. who I think does a sort of. a a sort of sarcastic freak out in a way better than (laughs) better than most actors i know he's very good at it he sort of he widens his eyes just slightly at almost everything going on and it's usually it's either shade or it's terror and you're not quite sure which sometimes i really enjoyed him a lot in fact i think the two leads in this film really elevate it enormously uh, from what it might have been they keep it they keep it interesting for for, the good hour when it still is interesting yeah and uh, i was fully on board Kind of because of them, uh, so I think that even though he he sort of messed up the casting with Hayley Squads, I think he absolutely nailed it with those those main two.
0: Now we've uh, at the top of the program we kind of referred to this as folk horror. It's definitely in that world. Ben Wheatley, you know, has, has been in that world before with The Field in England. Kill This is definitely that in that world as well. We did a show yonks ago about folk horror with Adam Scavell and Andy Miller, in fact, but. Let's just try to sort of define it in terms of if people coming to this film and this program fresh. What are some of the – and it's called In the Earth. I'm kind of thinking like the beginning of Blood on Satan's Claw, is it, where they dig something up from the ground? And there's, there's another film from the 70s, sort of BBC, kind of maybe it's a play for today about, you know, about people kind of doing building work and digging up, digging up something like a standing stone accidentally that's been buried. What are some of the tropes of folk horror that come to light in this film? When we're talking about the genre,
2: yeah. So that you got the standing stone there in the forest, which yeah. is some, a, a kind of tick. runic, yeah, tick exactly, <laughs> a sort of runic placeholder yeah. for things to emerge and for the, the 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 English landscape to be sort of weaponized, I suppose, against yeah, yeah. against all these these other unfortunate strangers who have stumbled into it. And you mentioned a couple of the key ones. Blood on Satan's Core is one that everyone often mentions. Obviously, The Wicker Man is mm-hmm. another one, where the, the 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 kind of landscape and the pastoral ritual if you like is sort of part of the of, of what's unsettling and uncanny and this this goes back to you know way back to well before even medieval times in England the sort of uh, superstitions about the land and 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 what what might be going on down of it's in sort the of mud to
0: do with when Christianity overtook the magic the belief in magic yes. and paganism and, and, uh, yeah,
2: this- and- these two forces coming up against each other. There's all sorts of that, so it all gets kind of mulched in the in the in the 60s and 70s <laughs> du- mulch. during during the sort of folk during the folk rock and sort of psychedelic rock era. People are well into that. There's stuff. something proggy about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. You, you look at the album covers from that era and how much you know people, people sort of dressing up as strange dancing leprechauns and you know yeah. da- dancing around maples or whatever they might be doing. It's again that all ties into why that became a, a very popular genre at that time. And I quite enjoy these revivals of it, which are always done in sort of adverted commas. It's always mm. oh, it's it's sort of folk horror again. We'll do we'll do that again. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What brought it back? There's obviously been director's cuts of, of, of The Wicker Man and things like that. Things kind of go. And maybe again, as you mentioned, Tim, this kind of midnight film screening at, at music festivals kind of brought some of these things back as well. Was there a film, either a new one or, or, or a kind of re-release of an old one that reignited this thing? Can you can you attribute it to a particular time, moment, film or anything. It's a funny one, it seems to have crept up on us in the last... Because mid was obviously a big yeah, thing. Yeah, everyone... big. Wow, and and before back, that, you know? sort
2: of hereditary, which is a, a different kind of American strain of that, I suppose. But I, I guess Ben Wheatley himself has been sort of integral in, in doing this stuff, but also the, the League of Gentlemen team, Mark Gatiss mm. and, and co. That show itself I would say is is sort of is sort of a beginning of, of folk horror being yeah. brought back in. And they when they did the film spin-off of it, they also managed to incorporate the the portmanteau horrors from the seventies, the amicus and, yeah. and hammer uh, movies where you had sort of three different stories going on with Peter Cushing as a, an antique dealer or whatever uh, and again a related genre of that I think that's I, I guess I guess there's a there's a timeline there from sort of early noughties through Ben Wheatley's first few films Kill List, Field in England absolutely mm.
0: and then now via Midsummer, we're sort of now
2: we wind up here I guess.
0: Yeah Anna while while we're playing folk horror trope bingo is there anything that Tim left off off the list there?
1: I would say a recent example is The Witch as well. But no, I I think he did a very, very good summary there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Let you off the hook. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where it's like, how can I get two people to ask the same question fairly? There's no way of doing it. Um, Okay, both, thank you very much. Um, It's that time of the programme where we speak to our guests about what um, this topic got them thinking about, specifically filmically, or maybe not. And Tim, we're going to start with you and the 2018 film Annihilation by Alex Garland starring Natalie Portman. So what what is the line between Annihilation and In the Earth?
2: Something about the sort of dread of In the Earth as they kind of creep through the woodland and try and figure out what all of this nonsense is uh, reminded me of Annihilation quite a lot, which is a film I found quite a lot scarier than this one. And I found the payoff more successful as well funnily enough i don't think paramount pictures would agree because the money that they spent on it was not recouped it was actually quite unsuccessful at the box office was
0: this something that was meant to be released was this something that fell foul of it
2: wasn't in cinemas it was meant to be it was a release in america in cinemas and did quite badly and then paramount decided to sell it to netflix internationally so it premiered in the UK for example on Netflix uh, which everyone thought this is a bit odd but then when I watched it um, back in 2018 I was so impressed with it this is it was it's Alex Garland's follow up to Ex Machina Mm -hmm. um, and it uses crucially the same visual effects team who won an Oscar for that one Um, and it's Part, it's an, it's actually an adaptation of a book by Jeff Vandermeer. This this trilogy of books he's written called the Southern Reach trilogy, which I've not personally read, but which a lot of people rave about. Which is sort of in this sphere that we're we're talking yeah. about, um, sort of American
0: we, folk horror, kind yeah, of and
2: in a sort of redneck horror zone, kind of thing. In a sort of post-apocalyptic sort of zone where the landscape is is key as well. There's a mysterious quarantine area. It's quite a sort of p- pandemic sort of. Uh, Prediction film, mm. this one in a way, and Natalie Portman and some fellow scientists have to venture forth into some area called the Shimmer, where things shift and change, and flowers do weird things and suddenly grow and seem quite menacing, uh, and animals uh, are, are kind of turn into mutants of each other. And there is a really terrifying scene in this film involving a bear which has somehow managed to imitate the voices of a human that it's that it's kind of killed, uh, and it's sort of absorbed this human voice which it then uses to entrap other people and I've I found that a, a, a terrifying idea very well executed it's a sort of grab bag of, of strange ideas this film and it's a pity that it didn't kind of get the the big, big screen treatment that I think it deserved because it actually looks fantastic Quite interesting, though, and in a film that I'm kind of keen to revisit now that I've seen in the Earth. It at least enabled Alex Garland to carry on doing what he does because he then went on and made Devs, right. which I guess was a BBC production. And he's always been great and interesting. He's very he good. was right
0: as a writer, as a novelist, and as a as a, as a is he was he the director of
2: this. He was absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. the writer and director yeah. of it, and it actually has a very good cast uh, alongside Natalie Portman. You have. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is the kind of boss scientist sending them off, um, Tessa Thompson's in it Gina Rodriguez is in it and it, it has a sort of alien style structure where they sort of get whittled down one by one perhaps a film though that has not yet had its due and a film that not enough people have seen I feel I
0: think that sounds, that sounds like a firm recommendation absolutely, it's yeah. a link and a recommendation in one Tim's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anna, um, you wanted uh, to talk to us today about the lead actor, Joel Fry, um, who's Martin, uh, the the scientist um, in in the earth. He is probably best known for Game of Thrones and W1A, the sort of um, ironic BBC looking in the mirror sitcom. Um, But he seems to be on the rise. Um, So let us into a little bit more of, of Joel Fry.
1: Well, as Tim said, I think he's, he's a very sort of gifted comic actor who sort of bridges that gap between comedy and drama very well in very sort of modern productions. And one thing I wanted to briefly mention is another Netflix film called Love, Wedding, Repeat, which isn't necessarily the best film, but there is a link with In the Earth because there's a scene in which Joel Fry's character is required to be under a considerable amount of drugs. And that kind of ties in within the Earth. And he's very, very, very funny and good at that. <laughs> um, but what <laughs> a lot of people can see him in at the moment is Cruella um, so obviously in the big and the small screen Disney film. Now he plays um, the Jasper, who's one of the kind of uh, sidekicks to Cruella in this sort of backstory played by Emma, starring Emma Stone and wonderful performance from Emma Thompson as well as this rival fashion designer to Emma Stone's upcoming fashion designer. And um, the, the two kind of sidekicks I think have have a lovely quality. I mean, Joel Fry's performance has this lovelorn quality, which also reminded me of, of in the in the Earth. So Hapless, um, but also there's a great deal of comedy that comes from his um, sort of dual performance with Paul Walter Hauser as as these kind of very old fashioned comedy buffoons we all remember. You know the old two kind of sidekicks and the, and the sort of hire a thug um, and and that's kind of a real nice old fashioned element to the film I think. But we've been talking about Cruella recently on on Girls on Film and I think it is something that we're celebrating because. Here is a story of essentially two women um, who don't particularly have love interests. They're very career driven. Um, They're both very intelligent and creative. They're both very funny, beautifully performed. So to me, really, it actually is the Emma Stone and the Emma Thompson show. And it's really fun.
2: It's interesting that Craig Gillespie directed this film because he's best known for I, Tonya, which is another story. And I'm going to incorporate a sort of semi-spoiler here in which a mother-daughter Relationship uh, between, in that case, Alison Janney and Margot Robbie is fueled by vitriol and venom, uh, and he's done <laughs> bit, the same. Just a bit. Essentially, he's done the same. But I, th- I find that kind of an interesting uh, link as well.
0: Yeah, it's a funny, Cruella. I didn't. I haven't seen Cruella. I didn't kind of know what to make of it. Maybe because of how it's been marketed. What, um, Anna? What do you think? What do you think to that? I mean, it, it sounds fascinating that this thing I've seen going on the few buses we've seen we've seen with adverts now back back on them commercials on the side of them it fit, i w- didn't know whether it's a children's film you've cast it as a really interesting story about two kind of interesting intelligent powerful women or wannabe or career driven women what is it has it has it reached reaching the right note in its marketing i wonder
1: I don't think it is if that's your response and other people who said they didn't like the trailer have really enjoyed Mm. the film um yes it it could be many things to many people but I would say broadly it's it's a family friendly but also adult friendly um fashion related comedy really so I mean it, it inhabits a world the devil wears Prada inhabits um but it's probably got more of interest um to men if you want to sort of go into gender cliches um, I think it's it's very relatable and funny um, obviously it looks fantastic and the costumes but it's not just about that I mean a lot of it revolves around people kind of staging flash mobs and elaborate pranks and elaborate publicity stunts and really it's about one-up womanship um, and that in itself has a lot of dazzle on the big screen and a lot of fun, you know, I mean it's not a perfect film and some of the, the sidekicks and so, some of the characters are a bit creaky and the dialogue's a bit dodgy but also it's set in 70s London so if you like a little bit of, of 70s mu- soundtrack fantastic and there's also a great scene set in Liberties in 1970s London where you're taken through the whole store in, in one shot it's great fun
0: nice yeah that sounds great I could definitely do with a bit of that very paisley moment there but i'm thinking in liberties um thank you so much anna um you were talking there about joel fry specifically in cruella and tim before that was talking about annihilation by alex garland uh, my thanks to tim Roby and anna smith and in the earth is released in cinemas on june the 17th wouldn't it be nice to feel weird in company at least monocle on culture was of course produced by holly fisher and i've been robert bound we'll be back on this very same frequency next week but for the time being thank you very very much for tuning in.